glory, 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 glory. <laughs> the psalmist says, I will give thanks to thee. I hope and pray this morning when you woke up, you begin to praise the Lord. And giving him praise and thanksgiving for his goodness, for his grace, for his mercy, for his loving kindness. I just pray that you gave God some praise this morning when you got up. I will give thanks to thee, for God is good. Boy, don't you love those people who say, well, preacher, you tell me one thing I need to give thanks for. I've met them. Maybe you haven't. But I have met people that said, tell me one thing I need to give God praise about. I said, well, try breathing without God. Try walking without feet. Try seeing without eyes. Try hearing without ears. Just to start and to mention a few things. Folks, we have a whole lot to give God praise for this morning. And we give Him praise this morning in this place. I mean we give Him praise. We give Him praise. Oh, Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, unless you come and build this house, we're going to labor in vain. Unless you speak, God, from this sacred desk, we will have no word from God. So, Lord Jesus, would you ask the Father right now to send the Holy Spirit in this place like he's never come before in the history of this church. Lord, today could be a monumental day in someone's life. It could be the day that they've been praying for for a long time. It could be the hour that their heart is crying out for a touch from God. God, may this day not be like any other Sunday. Lord, may this hour be an hour that we know when we leave in just a moment that we have been in the presence of a holy God. And that God has spoken unto us. So, Lord God, this is your time. This is not mine. Lord, it's not about a show. It's not about a presentation. It's not even about a sermon. It's, God, about what you have to say to us this day. And I believe you have a word for us. You have a word for me. You have a word for these people. So, God, may we be open, receptive, And may we have spiritual ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We bless you this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. 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 Lenny Harris played on 10 major league teams starting with Cincinnati Reds and ended up with the Florida Marlins. Lenny holds every major league baseball record there is, 804 times as a batter, as a pinch hitter, 212 hits as a pinch hitter is the major league record. By definition, a pinch hitter is a substitute for another in a time of need. A pinch hitter is a substitute for another in a time of need. 
Well, in God's Word, there is a clear pinch hitter for us to study about today. And I pray in the name of Jesus that this story about this pinch hitter will be a word for you and a word for me. Because I believe we're living in a time and in a generation where God is looking for some substitutes. The need is great. The hour is before us. The time is at hand. And God's eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the whole earth to look and find someone that he might say, I need you to go to bed. I need you to stand in this place and be a pinch hitter for me today. In the book of Joshua, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to study briefly about Joshua because I think Joshua is the greatest pinch hitter in the Bible. Joshua chapter 1, I want to read the first nine verses to you. I know these verses are familiar. I know this story is familiar. But I'm convinced every time we look and read God's Word, there is something there for us. So don't take a spiritual snooze on me and say, Now, preacher, I've already heard that text. I already know that story. In fact, I knew that story before you was ever born. So don't get that way. Don't get all cocky and confident in yourself. Would you do yourself a favor and say, God, I want to pretend this morning that I know nothing about this story. I know nothing about this text. And so, God, I want it to be as though it is the first time I've ever heard this text spoken. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord came, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, now listen here, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you As I said to Moses, verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, far as the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I have swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according all that the law which Moses my servant commanded you, Do not turn from it to the right hand nor to the left so that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according all that is written in it. For then 
For then, for then, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. May God just drop an extra anointing on his word this morning. Now, I'm convinced in my life, as I've studied this word for a long time now, I'm convinced that Joshua had no idea he would be the leader one day. I don't think it was a position that he politicked for. I don't think he passed out resumes to the other people and the children of Israel so that they could put his name before the committee just in case something happened to Moses. I don't think he was at home every night praying that God would do something to Moses so that he could be the man of the hour or the leader. I'm just convinced, based on my study of this text and of this story, that Joshua never intended on being the leader. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to say something to you this morning that I believe with all my heart, that God is smarter than you and I. Now go ahead and give them praise. So there is Joshua sitting on the bench, doing his job, being where he's supposed to be. And all of a sudden he gets the assignment, Joshua, I need you to pinch hit for Moses. I need you to be the substitute in a time of need. And so Joshua became, I think, the greatest pinch hitter to ever live in the Bible. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at two or three things in the life of Joshua that I believe can be in your life and in my life that will help us to be the greatest pinch hitter that God ever used in this world. Folks, Billy Graham is gone. Billy Graham is gone. And I could stand up here and name name after name after name of the great preachers and men and women of God who were gone. Now here's what frightens me. Here's what frightens me, and I say that word correctly. I don't think we're replacing them. But God needs some substitutes. God needs people like you and me that have no desire, maybe this day, to be the leader. Maybe have no desire to do something that you've never done before in your entire life. But all of a sudden, in the heavens above, God looks down and sees a tremendous need. And what he's looking for is people like you and me, just ordinary people doing ordinary things, living an ordinary life, but are about to encounter a supernatural, unordinary life that God has for us. So what happens as a place if God says to our Kennedy... Kennedy, you're a bat. 
Well, what do you mean I'm at bat? Well, you're on the team, aren't you? You've been training, haven't you? You work out, don't you? Yes. Well, then let's, guess what? You are up to bat. Now, folks, here's what's going to happen when you get up to bat. It was the very same thing that happened to Joshua. Number one, God put Joshua into a position that he had to trust God. Now, let me ask you, have you ever had to trust God before? Now, that sounds like a preacher question, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like a revival speaker, doesn't it? Have you ever had to trust God before? Has God ever put you in a situation where you ever had to trust God? That sounds very revivalist. That sounds very preachery. That sounds very pulpit. That sounds like a question that a preacher is supposed to ask you. But I'm going to ask you it honestly this morning. Have you ever been in a position that you had to trust God? Trust God. Well, that's an evangelical word, isn't it? It's a word that we throw around, sing about, preach about, hear about our whole life, trusting God. I trust God. You trust God. Need trust God. Better trust God. It's a word that we've used so flippantly. I think it's lost its meaning. But what in the world and how in the world does God want to use that word in our lives today? God put Joshua into the position that he had to trust God. He didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't know how he was going to do it. He had certainly never done it before. And so he gets thrown into this pinch hitter situation. And now he had to trust God. I've been by the hospital bed of many, many people that had to trust God when they got the diagnosis. I've been by the graveside of many, many people in my life where there's a little child or a teenager who was killed in a car wreck or a mom who just had her second child and died on the operating table or a mom who had four kids and just died of cancer at 32 and we've had to tell that family, well, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to trust God. You see what I'm saying? Don't it sound just so elementary, so, so flippantly we use that word? But folks, have you ever had to trust God? I have. You have. We all have learned what it means to trust God. Now here's why it's so important in the life of Joshua. And don't let this go over your head, not because it's deep, not, not because it's theological sounding, but don't let this go over your head when I say this. But the very reason why Joshua had to trust God the way that he did was because he was about to carry out the will of God. Now, can you grasp that? Can I grasp that in our minds? I mean, he's not just going to have to run to McDonald's and grab a ham grab a, a, a sack full of burgers and bring them back and feed the children of Israel. He's not going to have to run down by the local Walmart and get a bunch of bottled water because everybody's thirsty. He's about to fulfill the will of Almighty God. 
And if you're in that category this morning, and if I'm in that category this morning, then I'm telling you, you're going to have to trust God. Again, that's another word that we've used for so many years and so long in the church. It's again kind of been pushed away, set aside. Oh, here goes the will of God sermon again. Oh, here goes the will of God again. But I really, uh, I, I ask myself and I ask you, do we understand what the will of God is? He's asking Joshua, You've been on the bench all these years, Joshua. Moses is gone. Skid up, go to the plate, and bat for me because you're going to fulfill my will. Wow. That ain't overwhelming you, but it's overwhelming me to think of, of fulfilling the will of God. Now, the will of God, we can make it sound real deep and profound. And I can use a bunch of words that would would maybe blow your mind. And you might not understand a word or two of the words that I could use to describe the will of God. But, folks, we've made the will of God so spiritual that we've missed the will of God. The will of God is simply this. You doing what God wants you to do and how he wants you to do it. That is the will of God. It's that simple. It really is. But it's like when we start talking about the will of God, we need to dim the lights. We need to light the candles. We need to get some smoke on the floor. And we all need to go, ooh, the will of God. Ooh, are you in the will of God Are you doing the will of God? You see what I'm saying? That's the way people look and treat the will of God. The will of God can be as simple as you giving somebody a glass of cold water. That simple. That easy. That elementary. And Joshua was put into the position that he had to trust God. Because he was about to be the leader to the nation of Israel to get them where God wanted them to be because that was God's divine will. It's amazing, is it not? It's totally amazing. The will of God. Now, here's what I like to think about how God does this kind of work in our life. Moses was the man called to do it and led the people for all those years. But Moses disobeyed God and God said, you're not going to see the promised land. And so here now we've got to have Joshua to be raised up to do that. Again, I'm telling you, I don't think Joshua ever planned to be the leader. But here's what God does in our life. God always providentially prepares you for service. So what you're doing now might not be what you're going to be doing a year from now, but what you're going through now is exactly what you're going to need a year from now. That's called the providence of God. So here's here's God. Man, God is so good, folks. Here's Joshua just doing his everyday job, 
go do this, go do that, bring me this, bring me that, tell the people this, tell the people. I mean, he's just doing the routine job of being second fiddle to Moses. God knowing the whole time, Moses ain't going to make it, Joshua. But I guarantee you this, I'm going to let you see everything, hear everything, know everything that he knows because one day you're going to be the hitter. That's the providence of God. That's how good God is. God's not going to ask you or I to do something today and leave us unequipped or unaware of what he wants us to do. We might not know all the details, but I guarantee you this. Whatever God might ask of you this day, he's already been working on you for that one thing that he's asking you for. That's the providence of God. Providentially preparing him. And then secondly, he gave him a clear vision. Now, again, that word vision, again, if we're not careful, we'll dim the lights, get the candles going, get the smoke on the floor, and start ooing and aahing all over again because we're talking about the vision of God. Have you got a vision? What is your vision? What, I mean, we, we over-spiritualize that vision again, and we make it so spiritual that we don't even understand it. A vision is simply this, how you're going to do what God's asked you to do. He said, Joshua, take these people from here and take them over to here. That's the vision of God. Here they are here. Take them over to here. That's the vision. Now, in the vision, in the will of God, you better trust God. Because you're going to get along about here, maybe, and be confused. You're going to get about here, and Satan's going to throw everything at you he's got. You're going to get about here, and you're going to get so discouraged, depressed, despondent, despairing, that you want to throw in the towel and give up. You're going to get about here. Do you see what I'm saying, church? Are you understanding this? Trust God. Trust Him until you fulfill the will. Trust Him this morning. Hallelujah. Trust Him. Now here's the good thing about the trusting part. Now I'm not asking you and neither is God because God is smarter than that. God's not going to ask you to trust Him blindly necessarily. Maybe sometimes, but most of the time, it's not of that blind faith or blind trust. Joshua was ahead of the game on the trusting, and folks, so are we. Anybody have a Bible in here this morning? If you do, hold it up. Folks, you're ahead of the game. Do you hear me, church? You're ahead of the game. So no excuses for us. Maybe Joshua, but not us. We have the written word of God spoken to us in this language so we can understand and know some things. Now here's what Joshua did, okay? Here to here. And along the way, you want to quit? Throw on the towel. Satan's after you. You got some church committee driving you insane. 
Can I get an amen on that one? Driving you insane. So what do you do? Believe this. Satan, committee, depression, worry, or stand on the promises of God. Oh, glory. Now, I ain't got worked up up here now. Standing on the promises of God. Oh, we know that old hymn that we used to sing. Standing on the promises. I remember old W.A. Crystal, pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Probably the greatest Baptist pastor to ever preach the Word of God. He was standing to his people one day. And he had his Bible in his hand. He was talking about the promises of God. And he got so wound up and caught up, he threw his Bible on the ground. And he jumped up on top of that Bible and said, Folks, I'm standing on the promises of God. What a great illustration. Well, I got brave. I was preaching in India. Now, that's not in part of Alabama or Georgia. India. I'm preaching in India to a bunch of preachers. And I thought, well, if it worked for W.A. Crystal, it's going to work for Randy W. Kennedy. I threw my Bible down, bless God, and I'm talking about the promises of God. And I threw my Bible down, and I jumped on top of my Bible and said, I'm standing on the Word of God. I thought those people would lynch me. They were so offended. But you know what? They might have been mad about how I did it, but we stand on the Word of God. And Joshua was standing on the promises of God because he remembered along here. No, that, that's mine. That's mine. You see what I'm saying? That's mine. He, he kept going to what was his already. He says, I've already given you that land and they hadn't got there yet. So that's the promises of God. And he also was standing on this. When the committee came against him, maybe his family members or, or the head Israelite men came against him, or he, he, he kept saying to himself, let me tell you something. The promises of God said, no man, no man is going to stand against you, buddy boy. No man stand on the promises. No man. I've been a pastor long enough. I've had people come against me every side you can come against somebody. I got in an argument one time with a man in my parking lot. We were touching noses. We were that close. I mean, it was nose to nose. He was yelling at me, and I'm yelling at him. I'm yelling scripture. He's just yelling false. He was all mad and all upset because we were going to baptize the first black member in the church's history. And he was letting me know how ungodly, how unholy, and how the tribes in Israel wouldn't do that. You know what the Old Testament said. I mean, he was just ranting and raving at me. And I'm just snarling like a dog in front of him, touching his nose, telling him, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. No man can stand in your way when you're headed to the will of God. No man can do that. There he goes. There he goes. There he goes. So he's he's got these promises. He's standing on these promises. The land's already yours. and No man's going to stand against you. And guess what? This is the best of all, folks. Here. 
to hear. Now watch this. Wherever you go, I'm with you. Here? I'm still with you. You might not feel it, but I'm with you. You might not hear me, but I'm speaking. I'm here. I'm going to be with you till you step on into the promised land. Glory, I done got worked up now. Until I get to the promised land. So we had to trust God. I have to trust God. You have to trust God. The second thing is this. God put Joshua into a position that he had to rely on him. Again, another spiritual word, another ecclesiastical words we use in sermons to get people to amen or shout or stand up and glorify God. But folks, there's just something about relying on God. You get up out of bed in the morning, God, I might have a schedule and I might have a calendar, but I trust you, God, and I rely on you. God, I might have this and I might have that, but God, I rely on you this day. God, my dependence is on you, and I rely on you. And listen to what God told Joshua on three different occasions in this text alone. He told him, you be strong and you be courageous. Now, why would God say that to Joshua? I I thought about this so many times. Why in the world would God say that to Joshua? Be strong and courageous, strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. Because watch this. Joshua had watched Moses all those years get his brains beat out by the people. Remember the parting of the Red Sea? Pretty good job, isn't it? People get on the other side, gripe, grumble, complain. We want to go back. Food is falling from the sky. Water is coming out of a rock. And the people griped and complained, griped and complained, griped and complained. Never couldn't make them happy. And Joshua had watched that all those years. Well, guess what? Joshua's going to go from here to here. And guess what those people are going to be doing? The same thing. Satan will make sure you have someone near you or around you who's going to try to get you off course. So here's what we got to do. we got to be strong, and we got to be courageous. That word strong is an interesting Hebrew word. It means adhesion, a stickiness about it. God says, I want you to be strong, not on yourself. He didn't tell Joshua, go hit the gym, go start doing exercise, start doing crunches, He didn't tell them to get strong physically, eat right, chicken, no meat, green beans only. No, he didn't tell them any of that stuff. He said get strong. In other words, Joshua, stick yourself to me and you'll be strong. (laughs) You'll be strong. Adhesive. You'll be firm and you'll be strong. And then he says you'll be courageous. Now, I love this. You'll be courageous in this sense. You'll be determined. You'll confirm yourself. You will feel strong. When I was chaplain of the Atlanta Hawks basketball team for all those years, I would have different speakers come into our chapel service every time we had chapel with the players. 
One of my favorite chapel speakers was Lee Haney. Lee Haney was Mr. Olympia. Anybody remember Lee Haney? The guy looks like a monster. I mean, he's got muscles that my body's never seen or felt before in my life. I mean, he just stands like a monster. He walks kind of like this. He can't even close his arms. He's built Mr. Olympia. He beat out Arnold Schwarzenegger for the most Olympian titles. This guy's massive to say the word. Well, he'd always come to chapel, and guess what I love to do? I like to stand beside Lee Haney because I felt strong. I'm standing beside Lee saying to myself, I hope somebody says something to me tonight. I'm just going to tell him, sick him. Go get him, Lee. That's the analogy that I'm using. You can feel strong and be courageous because you got the one who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So walk tall and stand up strong in the Lord, knowing you got God Haney on your side. <laughs> I'm telling you, be strong and courageous. You're going to need it from here to here, folks, I promise you. You're going to need that. I found a prophecy that was given to a church, and I want to read it to you. It says, Be strong and fear not, saith the Lord, for I am with you. My promises are yea and amen. My covenant with you is everlasting, saith God. I have stretched forth my hand to you. My people seek me, and I will send my spirit. And I will anoint you and will forever empower you. And I will do great things among you. That's a good word for a church. That was delivered July 8, 2007 to Harvest Church of God. Right here. God telling you back then, be strong. Be strong. I'm going to do the work. Just be strong. Saith the Lord. How much clearer does it have to be for us when God delivers a word to his people about being strong? Being strong. The last thing is this. Now listen to this. This might be the best of them all. God put him in a position to trust him, to rely on him. And then thirdly, God positioned him to help others to a better life. Do you know where these people were way way before Joshua got a hold of them? Do you know where those people were over here? They were in bondage. They were enslaved. They were working for nothing and doing the worst labor you can imagine. Well, they got out of that, but they still kept themselves in bondage sometimes because of their mentalness and their griping and their complaining. And, and they get this far, Moses is gone, and they've got to go from here to here. And God's will from the very beginning, I got too big a space here on this illustration, from, from here to there, God was taking those people to a better life. 
When you're invited to ask Jesus Christ into your life, we're asking you for a better life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this day and we're asking you to come forward to this altar and pray and give it to God, we're doing that to ask you to a better life. And so here's Joshua, the pinch hitter. Wasn't he supposed to be the batter? Wasn't even in the lineup in the sense of being the Babe Ruth and the Hank Aaron, the home run king. He's just being a regular guy doing the regular stuff and then God thrust him into this position because of a great need that had happened in the nation of Israel. But God's plan never got toward him because of mankind. Thank God for that. And God said to Joshua, you take him to a better life. Two men were walking down the beach one day, just casually walking and talking. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of sand dollars that have been washed ashore. Thousands of them. Hundreds of thousands of them. And this one man was picking one up and throwing it back in the water. Picking one up, throwing it back in the water. And the guy noticed that, and he looked at him. He said, what in the world are you doing? He said, I'm putting them back in. He said, are you kidding me? Have you seen how many people are out? I mean, how many things are out here? Are you kidding me? Why are you doing that? And he bent down, and he picked up one. He said, let me tell you why I'm doing it, because it matters to this one. It matters to this one. We're here today. We cut the lights on. We got the air running. We provided music. Got a preacher. Because why? It matters to one today. I know we're not going to get the whole crowd. We never have and never will. But it matters to the one that's sitting in this room this morning hearing the voice of God. It matters to one. And God is asking you and God is asking me to go to a better life. Not in heaven. I'm not talking about dying. I'm not talking about giving up the ghosts and enjoying the beauty and the splendor of heaven. I'm talking about in this life as you journey from here to here. Have a better life. You trust God, you will. You rely on God, you will. You follow your leader, you will. God said, I'll make your way prosperous. And then you will have success. That's a better life. That's a better life. I know life is tough, folks. I've had a month from hell. I've had two flat tires. One was on the interstate going in South Georgia. Now, if you want to get blessed, have a flat tire in the middle of the interstate in the middle of nowhere in South Georgia. <laughs> I got back three or four days from that trip. I get up the next morning to go through my regular day and routine. I go outside. I got a flat tire. I thought, wow, must be flat tire month. I've got a flat tire. They came and fixed it. On my way, 
Three days later, my radiator busted. Guy put me a new radiator in. The day before I'm supposed to leave here, my water pump went out of my car. It's in the shop right now. When I got here, my wife called and said, I'm on the side of the road in the interstate. My car is smoking. What could that be? Her water pump went out. And you know how much money that is? Flat tires, radiator, <laughs> water pump, water pump <laughs> on the way, on the way to do the will of God. Trust him. Trust Him. Rely on Him. Because He wants you to take someone to a better life. I I, got to close with this. I didn't say close once. That's about normal for Baptist preachers. But I got to, let me give me, can I get one more grace? One more closing point. You got to hear this. There was a couple things that made Joshua a great leader. I'm just going to run through them quickly. Bravery. We sang about the opening song. Anybody remember the opening song? Bravery. Integrity. Faith. And humility. Was what made him a great leader. I guess the best of them all was the humility one. Remember Joshua had an encounter with an angel of the Lord. And he said, Joshua, take your shoes off because where you are is holy ground. Now watch this. And Joshua took his shoes off. I thought about that. Do you know how many of these modern preachers would do that? Oh, I ain't taking my shoes off. I'm the senior pastor. I, I'm, not, I'm, on, I'm not taking my shoes off. How many people in the pew take your shoes off? You're on holy ground. I ain't taking my shoes off. I'm fixing to go eat. These are lace-ups. I got to tie these things back. I'm not taking my shoes off. And guess what? You're sitting on the bench. You're on the bench. God's going down the bench looking for a pinch hitter. Guess what? Your name won't be called because you wouldn't take your shoes off. Joshua was a wonderful man. And a godly leader. Because he understood it wasn't him, but it was God.
Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I believe we've heard from you. And now, God, we must put it into practice. God, we need to trust you this day. God, we need to rely on you because you want to use us to take people to a better life. They might not want to go. They might not understand what you're sharing with them. They might not have any clue what you're talking about, but God, you're working in them long before we ever got there because you want them to go to a better life. So, God, would you help us today to be a pinch hitter? Lord, we need substitutes today because the ones that have done it so faithfully are gone. And it seems like, God, the ones that are out there today are somewhat missing the mark when it comes to preaching the Word of God. So, God, maybe, just maybe, there's someone in this room this morning that you're going to call out, call out, call out to be the pinch hitter. Unbeknowing to them, but yet, God, you've got a calling on their life. Oh, Lord Jesus, will you take our time now? And use it for your glory and use it for your praise. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the word of God. I bless you and I honor you with it this morning. And this is what I pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.